When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Friday Buckeye Retalkables. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We are doing 2002 Ohio State versus Cincinnati. And you may be listening to this and saying, What? Why? Who cares? Well, what we are trying to do is um, to address the rise of football in Cincinnati. And one of the things I want to talk about here off the top is, is Cincinnati currently the football capital of Ohio? And I asked this question in a world where everybody in the state of Ohio is an Ohio State fan. It's the, it's the college team that everybody can root for. You certainly don't have to be an alum. You can go to a college at a different school in Ohio and still root for Ohio State. Everybody roots for Ohio State. And we live in a world where neither the Browns nor Bengals have won a Super Bowl, right? The, the, in, in this modern era of the NFL, they have never reached the mountaintop. So Columbus belongs to everybody. Ohio State belongs to everybody. So this is sort of one of those made-up podcast things. What's the capital? What's the football capital of Ohio? But, Nathan, in a world where – the University of Cincinnati just made the playoffs and the Cincinnati Bengals just made the Super Bowl and Ohio State didn't make the playoff. I do think this this is this is peak. This is the best football has ever been in Cincinnati because the University of Cincinnati just had its best season. It's not even close. And the Bengals got as far as they ever have. They've made the Super Bowl three times. They've never won it. So those two things combined, then it's quite a time for Cincinnati when you could argue that Basically, I mean, I guess if you want to go back to the other years, the Bengals made the Super Bowl and didn't win, I guess like in 81 and 89, that was actually during a stretch, right? Where Ohio State, 81, that's like, you know, let's Earl, but it's post Woody, you know, 89 is the beginning of Cooper, Ohio State's down a little bit, right? So there's, there's some stuff in there where probably Cincinnati would have qualified for it then. And, you know, back in the 60s when the Browns were winning NFL championships, you could have argued that, but not in the Super Bowl era. The Browns have never made the Super Bowl. So most of the time you'd say, if you, if you said family feud, name an important football city in the state of Ohio. It's like Columbus would be first. And I don't think right now Columbus would be first. Do you, is that a correct assumption? 
Yes, for this brief period of time, yes, I think that is is probably true. We'll see how long that lasts. I you would have a better handle on this than me too. Like what happened this past year for Cincinnati or these past six months for the city of Cincinnati from a football standpoint? Is how different like is that a at a higher level than if the Browns were to make a Super Bowl and Ohio State would have also made the playoff that year. Uh, I, just because, I mean, this is all self-contained in the city of Cincinnati. And the other thing is, if Ohio State like makes the playoff as the four seed and then loses to an SEC team, that doesn't come with the same level of something still to celebrate about it that there is for what Cincinnati just did. Right. That the the height of your peak is a little different. Nobody's expecting Cincinnati to win a national title. That's the expectation for Ohio State. Um, I don't know. Steven, I don't even know. Is this a thing? Is this like it's I mean, just a, that's is kind this- of it's kind of the point. You know, neither Cincinnati team was supposed to be in the position they were in, and yet here they were. Uh, which is uh, to the point of like Ohio sports fandom, it's like being an underdog. Loving the feeling of being, even with Ohio State football, even if it, we talk about it all the time, you're not an underdog within your region. But once you get on a national scale, it's easy to feel like an underdog. And Cincinnati got to be got to wave that flag for the state for this past you know year because of what the Bengals did and because of what the Bearcats did. So, yeah, I think it is kind of equal and it actually might be a little bit more severe just because it's all in one spot instead of like, OK, fine. Ohio State belongs to everybody, but it's still in Columbus. You know, it's it's not in Cleveland. It's not like Cleveland State and the Browns were in this position. Yeah, Cleveland just can't match this because the city of Cleveland doesn't have a football team like the University of Cincinnati. So so that's, you know, you can't kind of do this. And I do think, listen, we'll probably stop this part of the conversation very quickly because I'm not sure I'm making any sense. We cover Ohio State football through a slight Cleveland lens, at least. Probably when I started, I did it through more of a Cleveland lens because, you know, back in 2005 and I was writing primarily for the paper, right? And it's people in Cleveland or the other people who are reading it. I really tried to make sure that, you know, Ohio State football players who were from Cleveland and from Northeast Ohio got a little extra attention. Now, you know, we cover Ohio State for everybody. And we have people listening to this. Some of you are in Cleveland. Some of you are in Columbus. Some of you are very far away. And so we don't do it with quite as much of a Cleveland lens, but we certainly do it with more of a Cleveland lens than we do a Cincinnati lens. So we are not experts in how Cincinnati views Ohio State. But I do think Cleveland has always, especially because the Browns have stunk, Cleveland has embraced Ohio State football as its own. That's why we treat it this way. Cleveland.com, we have four primary beats, Browns, Cavs, Guardians, Ohio State. That's, we, we don't really differentiate. We don't act that we don't treat Ohio State football much differently than we treat those other beats, even though Columbus is two hours away from Cleveland. Cincinnati, I don't think, has that exact same relationship with Ohio State football. I think it's borne out a little bit. The Cincinnati Inquirer doesn't cover Ohio State like at all anymore. So that they have their own team does seem like a bigger deal. And that they, I think they would be embracing this. There's a lot of Ohio state fans in Cincinnati, but that they have their own football identity and it is two awesome teams with the years they just had is a big deal. And the, the point of all this is that was eight minutes of Doug theorizing on a theory that probably doesn't make a lot of sense. I think Nathan, it's possible that this 2002 Ohio state Cincinnati game, if Cincinnati had won this game, it would have been the greatest moment in Cincinnati football history, at least for the University of Cincinnati. I think inarguably 
and they didn't quite get it done. And now here they are. Now this is the best season ever for the University of Cincinnati. And listen, they had some good stuff after this. The, the Brian Kelly, Mark D'Antonio, Brian Kelly, Butch Jones, Tommy Tuberville, Luke Fickle. Like they, they really got it rolling. But this was a, a possibility for a peak for the Bearcats, Nathan, that they fell just short of. It would actually be interesting to talk to Cincinnati fans who are old enough to remember this and ask where they would rank it. Because, and we'll talk about this, I think, pretty early in, the, in our um, retalkables breakdown here. But there's something to be said for when you have your moment, you have to capitalize. But there's also something to be said for what you prove by having a touchdown, the game-winning touchdown go off a guy's fingers in the final seconds of a game that you're not supposed to be anywhere close to winning. Yeah, and it wasn't like it wasn't like they missed this opportunity and then fell off a cliff, Stephen, right? Like this was, this would have been the greatest moment in Cincinnati football history if it had happened in 2002. But then shortly thereafter, two years later, they hire Mark D'Antonio, Ohio State's defensive coordinator in this game. And all of a sudden, Stephen, the University of Cincinnati football program starts to elevate to a place it had never been before. So, if this was a peak, and now when we talk about Cincinnati football, it's like they're three and nine every year. They're barely hanging on. People are talking about should they disband the program? You would have looked at a game like this with even more like, oh my God, I can't believe they blew it. But they kind of blew this opportunity and then they were okay. They got better. They reached a new level of success. And this was more of like a little bit of an indication of things to come than, you know, a peak they never got back to. Yeah, you saw enough flashes here that if you got the right guy in charge of the program, it could take another step. Even if, you know, Mark D'Antoni you know, got in there and he, he was almost like the step before you were ready to really take off when Brian Kelly got there. But that's what they were missing at that point. They just had some talent, but not enough to necessarily compete with what I every night, but but enough talent to, on a given day that they could actually compete and pull off a thing like this. But if you got the right guy into the program, now you could head down the direction where, you know, 20 years later, Luke Fickles got them in the college football playoff. But you saw the initial seeds planted in a game like this. So this game is a 23 to 19 Ohio State victory over Cincinnati. Ohio State was number six in the country going into this game on September 21st, 2002. The game was played at Paul Brown Stadium. That was the first time Ohio State had played in Cincinnati since 1911. They made a very big deal about that. Uh, uh, on the pregame, and it was the largest. It was the, it set this record. It was the largest attendance at sixty six thousand three hundred and nineteen. Nathan for any sporting event in the history of Cincinnati, which also again is is telling us one of those things. Which I mean, I get it; it's fine. But like this was a big freaking deal that Ohio State and Cincinnati had played. But Ohio State, like, didn't go do this. They didn't go to Cincinnati's house to do this. And that's what added to this, that Cincinnati, in its its own backyard, had a chance to win this game in the largest sporting event in the history of the city. Well, and will they ever do it again? No. Have they done anything similar to this since then? No. They played a game in Cleveland, right? They played Toledo and Cleveland. Right. Um. I'm not going to go all the way out and say no if when Cincinnati's headed to the Big 12. So now it's two powerful five programs playing each other. But it's one of those things where Ohio State 
doesn't want to do anything to help raise the profile of Cincinnati. So I, I almost think that this, right. Cause Ohio state. So Stephen, the point you're making is Cincinnati going to the big 12, they're getting to a, a point of like closer to equal footing with Ohio state. They're going to be two power five teams. Cincinnati just made the playoff. Their head coach is a former Buckeye. They're a very good program. Ohio state doesn't want to do anything to contribute to that equal footing. I think Ohio State like agreed to the, a game like this because it's like, eh, it's, it's Cincinnati. We can go throw them a bone. We'll get some pub in Cincinnati. Maybe some kids will show up who then say, hey, I want to go play for the Buckeyes. But the fact that it was this close, I think almost guaranteed. The fact that, A, it was this close, and then pretty soon after it, the level of Cincinnati's football program escalated. Those two things combined, is, that's what makes it that it'll never happen again. Cincinnati's too now too good and too dangerous for Ohio State to agree to this. If Cincinnati wants to come here on a one-off, okay, but like they're not. Ohio State's not going there. Well, Cincinnati can now once it gets into Big Twelve more easily and really should be able to do it. I mean, they've been in the playoff now; they should be able to do it anyway. But once they get into Big Twelve, can schedule games approaching the caliber of Ohio State where they don't. It doesn't have to be a a buy game. Doesn't have to be a road only. Uh, contract. They can get home and homes now against really good teams. So uh, that's the other factor here too, is that Cincinnati doesn't have to give in to only playing Ohio State on the road the way they have had to in the past, as recently as two years ago, three years ago, whatever that was, because the, the, dynamic, the dynamic is changing. So Ohio State and Cincinnati played in 1999 and Ohio State won 34-20 in Columbus. That was the first time that the schools had played since 1931. So that's 68 years where they didn't play. So they play in 99, then they play this game in Cincinnati in 02. 23-19 Ohio State escapes. 2004 in Columbus, Ohio State wins 27 to 6. 2006 in Columbus, Ohio State wins 37 to 7. 2014 in Columbus, Ohio State wins 50 to 28 and 2019 Ohio State shellacks. Luke Fickle and the Bearcats 42 nothing in Columbus. But again, like I, I, I just I don't I don't I don't think they're going to agree to go there. When we come back, we will go through this game. We will go through our categories of Buckeye retalkables. We watch this. If you guys want to watch this, it's on YouTube with a no huddle cut up. So there's nothing. There's it's a 38, 37 minute watch. It's every single play, but there's nothing else. So some of the categories where we do like, hey, what was a cool fashion thing? It's like they didn't show a lot of fashion. It was just football, football, football. We don't know where we don't know where the full game is. This is the best we could do. But if you guys want to go watch it, it's an interesting football game to watch. But we'll start talking about that game next to Buckeye Talk. All right. So we are back. This is week four of the Ohio State season. 23-19, 23-19, Stephen, Ohio State wins. And let us start with our first category of who owned this game. And I have a particular answer for this. And I'm curious to see where you guys go. Stephen, who do you think owned this game for Ohio State versus Cincinnati? Chris Gamble played all three phases of the game, and he made plays in all three phases of the game. And this was not like the best football game, even for that to period of time. And because of that, I'm going with the guy who was making plays in all three phases of the game. So we definitely need to have a Chris Gamble conversation because this was a super important game uh, in the history of Chris Gamble. And we will talk about that. Nathan, that was not my answer. Nathan, who do you have for who owned this game? 
my answer, well, I had Chris Gamble on, on my list of contenders, but my answer ultimately was kind of what we were just talking about with Cincinnati. So I don't know if you want to extend that conversation at all, but just to say that the, 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 the peak that they've experienced in the last few years doesn't come out of nowhere. It's, it's usually there is a lot of, there's glacial progress for a long time, little small peaks, and then you have maybe the big breakthrough and not everybody even gets to achieve that. But I think this is like, as we just talked about, this was the momentum building towards what we experienced 20 years later with this program. So I think those are two very interesting answers and those are important things we need to talk about. But I want to use this first category to talk about the first thing off the top about this game, because I think Maurice Claret owned this game by not playing in not it. Playing. Yeah. Maurice Claret missed this game because he had arthroscopic knee surgery earlier in the week. Mm-hmm. The week before against Washington State, he carried it 31 times for 230 yards. In the opener against Texas Tech, he ran it 21 times for 175 yards with three touchdowns. And then they shellacked Kent State in week two. He had 11 carries for 66 yards. So let's just, and we'll we'll preface this. There are a lot of people listening to this who watched this game, who might have gone to this game, who were very invested in Ohio State football in 2002. None of us were covering Ohio State football in 2002. So we are less of an expert on this than many of the people who are listening to this podcast. Steven, I watched this game, and the number one thing that I came away from it was if Ohio State didn't have Maurice Claret this year, I think Ohio State would have gone like nine and three. Yep. Which, the, again, sometimes the absence of somebody reinforces how important they are. So I thought the absence of Maurice Claret you, you felt it on almost every snap. You know who else realized at some point in the season that, man, if Ohio State doesn't have Maurice Claret, they probably go nine and three. Maurice Claret has his body <laughs> continued to fall apart game by game, which is exactly what, which is part of the reason he tried what he tried after this season. Now, there obviously were some other issues, but yeah, that's part of the reason he tried that. Um, I like the answer. I was just going to apply it to the next man up just because Lido Ross had a decent day. It's not like Lido Ross went out there and had 25 carries for 65 yards. He had 130 yards. He did his job for what a running back was, 5.7 yards per carry. But it's, I mean, it's the argument we've been having with the running backs now. It's like, yes, Master Teague is good. Yes, Mayan Williams is good. But they're not Travion Henderson. Yes, Lido Ross is good. But he's not Maurice Claret. That's exactly what I was thinking, Stephen. That it's, I mean, Nathan, it is so it is so similar to what we saw early in the Ohio state season in 2021 of like, yeah, Lydell Ross ran for 130 yards. Yeah. Mayan Williams and master Teague are functional running backs. But like, if you want to be great, you need more than that. And for Ohio state to be great, they needed more than that. Maurice Claret provided that for Ohio state to be great in 2021. They needed more than that with Trayvon Henderson. I just, the, the, there was so much average football in this game, Nathan, and knowing that, this team wins the national championship. And we know Steven, as you mentioned, like Maurice Claret did sort of battle some injuries then later in the year, you know, I mean, by the time they get to Miami, he carries it 23 times for 47 yards. You know, he wasn't running for 230 yards every game, but there's something special about Maurice Claret. And there's not a lot special about Ohio state in this game, Nathan. So that's why I thought that the absence of Claret it was so reminiscent of what we had, the, the conversation as Steven said that we had about Trayvon Henderson this year. I didn't have the perspective of 
you know, knowing, as you said, like it's, it's a, the way this game was cut up, I didn't know the full backstory and they're not filling it in with, you know, that usual announcer stuff between snaps. But I, I wondered, you know, did he have to have the surgery that week or did they think, oh, it's just the Cincinnati game. This would be a good week for you to get that cleaned up and then you can come back and play the rest of the season. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, this is a Cincinnati team. This, this wasn't like this Cincinnati team was one of the surprises of college football that year. They went 7-7. Seven and seven. Right. Against a really tough non-conference schedule, by the way. I'll give them credit for that. If you go look at the non-conference schedule they played, they, they lost some really competitive games against, and it wasn't just a bunch of uh, other schlubby teams. It was against some other Power 5 teams. But I, I wondered that, that, like, did did they think that, like, oh, this is the – if you're going to get something cleaned up, this is the week to get it cleaned up. Yeah, I don't know. And and, and Trestle, Trestle did say after the game, I'm sure we missed Maurice, but there were some um, – there were some things we could have done a lot better with or without Maurice. But I also know that Tressel at some point after that sort of said early in the year, their offense was like, Hey, hand the ball to Maurice Claret and like, tell him to go do something that he admitted that, that there wasn't a lot of functionality, Steven to what they were doing. And you got the sense of that during the game, that there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of crispness to this Ohio state offense. There wasn't a great plan to anything and then when you took out a super dynamic running back, we know they want to run the ball. When you didn't have the super dynamic running back, they just looked like a very average team a lot of the day. It looked like they were playing Madden and just picking random plays and like, let's see if this works. And if it does, we look like geniuses. And if it doesn't, well, it's second and 13 because our line can't block in the passing game. It's really weird, man. We have a question at the end of this of, did this look like a national championship team? And uh, I'm curious to see this, what all of us say about that. Yeah. Okay. So there's, there's, there's the, the, the candidates to own the game uh, from the Ohio state sideline are, are few and far between, frankly. So I think gamble is a good answer, obviously. And then Cincinnati sort of owning it by what they almost did is, is um, a big part of it. The JT Barrett underappreciated player of the game. And the little snippets that we got from the announcers, there was some of this. This did feel like um, Craig Krenzel, the sort of like doing what needs to be done kind of Craig Krenzel stuff that I think defined his career. Listen, I think by the end in 2003, you know, this guy's a pretty good starting quarterback at this point. You know, there's a 29 yard run to get down to the five yard line. At one point, there's sort of this twisting, diving touchdown run at the end of the game. It's a little, I mean, it's a lot clunky in a lot of ways, Nathan, but I thought like the underappreciated there's, you know, that there's not a lot of fluidity to the passing game. He's under pressure a lot. They're trying to throw screens and they're letting guys go and he's getting nailed in the end. Krenzel kind of, kind of did what needed to be done, I guess. And I think that would become a defining characteristic for him. So I do think this was almost like a start of the underappreciated, you know, tough guy quarterback for Craig Krenzel. So he was my answer to the underappreciated player. I think you could make the argument that the way Krenzel played in this game made Maurice Claret the underappreciated player, because I think if you've got like this grittiness, this doing what it takes in the moment, what, however, whatever you want to say about that doesn't work when you don't have the foundational dynamic 
other piece of your offense. When this is your offense, I mean, at some point in my notes here, I just wrote, and this applied to both quarterbacks, I just wrote the word rainbows in all caps with like an exclamation point. Like these guys are just, just it's painful watching these guys just heave the ball downfield 10 yards over open receivers. Like it's, it, it's brutal. And I, so again, it just emphasizes how great Maurice Claret was because this offense did not look only a good running back away from winning a national championship. Right. And, and like, the, like Michael Jenkins is a first round receiver on this team. And Michael Jenkins like did nothing practically the whole game. He Absolutely had like, nothing. He had two big catches sort of on a drive late where they got him the ball and they sort of did stuff. Michael Jenkins had five catches for 47 yards this game. And when they finally threw it to him in the fourth quarter, it was like, why haven't you been throwing the ball to this guy more? But Krenzel was 14 of 29. Two picks, 129 yards, two touchdowns, took four sacks. These two picks were awful, awful. Brutal. So, I, like, I, I guess it's underappreciated, but also he was awful at times. I feel like Craig Crenzo is almost the is just as much the embodiment of this category as JT Barrett is because it's like he won a national championship as Ohio State starting quarterback. JT Barrett – had all the career records, the most winning this court starting court, all this stuff. And so if from the out, if you just looked at the that part of it, there's probably an alien who's like, why does everybody hate this guy? And then you turn on the film, it's like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I see it. I see it. I see why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why, yeah, I picked Craig Crenzo as well for that exact reason. It's like this quarterback won you a national championship. Not Terrell Pryor, not Troy Smith, not Justin Fields, not Dwayne Haskins or Braskin Maximino, all these other super talented quarterbacks. This is the guy who won it for you. And everybody is like, get him off the field. So, yeah, and I am not a Craig Krenzel hater. As, as someone who grew up, as we've mentioned before, following – I would say even rooting for the Chicago Bears professional football franchise. I have fond memories of the year that Craig Krenzel was like a fifth or sixth round draft pick or whatever it was and had to play for the Bears, had to become their starting quarterback the next year and won games with them in a year where the Bears were not good. So I actually have, although I have no emotional attachment to really any Ohio State players, I actually have good feelings about Craig Krenzel. But my God, he was bad this day. And he didn't get a lot of help from his offensive line at times, but uh he was not good. This was not good. Yeah, this guy isn't becomes an NFL quarterback. The guy who played quarterback in this game is a sure. college is a college football national championship quarterback who played in the NFL. JT Barrett never he played got, in the NFL. He got he an became, NFL check. Oh, I, I will say he became an NFL quarterback. He started. He, get, he, started, he started in one game yeah, know, for, for a team that yeah. wasn't that great. A Bears team that wasn't that great. But I, I will say he be, this he he became an NFL quarterback the way that we have seen other quarterbacks of similar talent around the big 10 become NFL quarterbacks. They're not the first option usually for whatever NFL team they're on. And they, they get, maybe if it's in the right op- situation, they get that opportunity. But this was a, this was a, this was the example of Ohio state having um, a David Blau or um, the guy from Iowa who um, the, uh, the, that got you in trouble with the offensive coordinator, um, Nate Stanley, Nate Stanley. Yeah. Um, it, it's an example of Ohio state having that quarterback, but the difference is it has everybody else that those teams don't have. You can right. win national championships with those quarterbacks. As long as you have the rest of Ohio state's roster, right. not Iowa's roster, not Purdue's roster. Okay. 
so Krenzel is both like underappreciated and overappreciated because there were some things he did. The two, the, the one pick was just like a crazy person, just get rid of it down the sideline that Cincinnati made a diving interception. The other one was like a rollout and a terrible. The actual, I think actually the second pick looked a little bit like CJ's pick at the end of the Oregon game. That sort of rollout yeah. to the right, and you're trying to throw it along the sideline and you throw it right to the other team. Well, um, but the big difference there was CJ, that was late in the game where they're trying to come back. He had to keep the ball in play. I mean, he had to try to yeah. make a, 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 recept, a, a completion, whereas Krenzel was trying to throw the ball away. So either, no, he, either he was trying to throw the ball away and missed by like 15 yards and threw the ball inbounds, or he just didn't know he was supposed to throw the ball away. Either one of those, you can pick which one of those it is. Either answer is terrible. And also Craig Krenzel wasn't worried about his shoulder falling off because he, true. You know, he, so have a he was, broken, he was healthy when he threw that pass. No broken AC joint. Um, wow. It is. Okay. So, all right, let's get to the, uh, the slob moment of the game. Well, I just want to say real, real yeah, quick, my, who owned the game. I think you could make a case that Ohio state's kickoff coverage won this game. I felt like the whole second half Cincinnati was starting from inside its own like 15 yard line yeah. after all those drives. It's over overstating it to say that it won the game, but I thought it helped sort of turn the game back in Ohio State's favor that it was uh, getting some deep kicks and covering them well. I mean, Cincinnati is leading at the half and it gets the ball to start the third quarter and they sort of muff the kickoff and there are like eight Ohio State guys tackling the Cincinnati returner at like the seven yard line. And and they force a punt and Ohio State takes over like the 35 in Cincinnati territory on their first drive of the of the second half because of the kick coverage and the defense. So there's actually a lot of stuff in here. It's like this it's in many ways. It's a classic Jim Trestle game, a slob moment of the game. This is where we try to give some credit to an offensive lineman or lineman. Steven, you're shaking your head. I don't know. Not a lot of great slob moments. No, no, no. The offensive lines on both sides of the ball get no credit for me in this game. There was, (laughs) I think uh, Craig Krenzel was sacked, what, like five or six times? Cincinnati's quarterback sacked like three or four times. It's just, no. it was a combination of quarterbacks not pointing out obvious blitzes or somebody on the offensive line completely messing up their assignment and then somebody being in the backfield in 2.5 seconds consistently. And it's th- there's holding penalties. There's, I mean, the referees are kind of the third superstars of the game with how much they were. Th- they threw more accurate passes with their flags than these quarterbacks do with the ball that time. So, no, nobody gets a slob moment of the game. This is an awful day at the line of scrimmage on both sides. Nathan, do you have it? anything, any, bo- any bone you can throw to the line? Uh, I, I saw a couple moments, and I actually screwed up. I forgot to go back and get. Um, the name on this. It was number 71 on the first carry of uh, the after Cincinnati went up 1914. So I think it's early in the third quarter, Ohio state's like first play after that, a nice big gain for Ross. And it came with, and I remember who it was number 71 is all I wrote down, like plowing a dude over to create this huge hole, but OSU's offensive line lost this matchup. Shane Olivier. Olivia, yeah. seven one, who was a very good offensive lineman for Ohio State. The one thing, this is not really a slob moment, but again, there were some just like classic trestle moments in this. Ohio State's first points came on a third and two where they had two tight ends on the line of scrimmage, like another offset tight end, a fullback and the tailback. So no receivers in the game. 
and they run a little play action on third and two, and Craig Krenzel throws a rainbow to Ben Hartsock, who's behind the defense for a 20-yard touchdown reception. It's all based off run formation, play action, leak a guy out, which, again, is sort of – that's something that Trussell would do a lot. So, you know, the slob the slob look, right, that you have the extra tight ends and it's like a, a power run formation on third and two that, that actually gives a little room for the passing game to get open. That was a big play to sort of open things up because I will say – and I don't know where to fit this in. I thought watching that first quarter, I think that at some point it was like 129 to nine or something in yardage. Ohio State went three and out on all first of their first three possessions. I thought that was maybe the worst quarter of Ohio State football that I've ever seen, Stephen. Like that, that it was just absolutely non-functional. Cincinnati was clicking, frankly, should have had more points than they did. They're, they're ahead 9 nothing at the end of the first quarter. But Ohio State just has no offense. And Cincinnati is moving the ball kind of at will. It was – I also will say, having covered not all but most of the Trestle era, they were capable of doing that. There were more than a few games where Ohio State would come out and look awful against a MAC team for a quarter or a half and then just sort of assert their will in the second half. But, Stephen, they were so bad in the first 15 minutes. It didn't look like the more talented team. It, no. To your point, that was almost like Trestle Ball at its heyday. It's like the MAC team is outgaining you and basically doing everything better than you, but actually putting the ball in the end zone. And somehow you're like, how the heck did you win that football game? And that's what it felt like at that point where it's like, and it's almost, I understand the idea of like Cincinnati owned this game because they kept it close against the big brother, Ohio state. And this was like the start of something, but looking at everything, but the actual touchdown Cincinnati should have won this game. And it shouldn't have been in a situation where it came down to a final drive at the end of the game. Ohio state had five possessions in the first quarter, punt, 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 fumble interception, Nathan. Ridiculous. Brutality. And and you could argue that, that that there were probably then some third down defensive stops in that first quarter that ultimately win Ohio State this game. Because as you said, like Cincinnati had other opportunities. They missed an extra point. So it should have been 10 nothing, not 9 nothing. They had another long field goal. Uh, the guy made one from 49, but he also missed one from 49. Short. So, like short yeah, from short. 49. Yeah. Um, so it's it like if just a, a play here or there instead now it's 13 to nothing or or Cincinnati keeps one of those drives going it's like they were really one or two defensive stops away in the first quarter from really being in a hole um, that this offense would have had a tough time digging out of this day all right let's go to the Malik Hooker where did he come from award a guy makes a play out of nowhere and makes a difference in this game for a moment Steven this is where I put Chris Gamble because literally people were like, what? Because this was the first time Chris Gamble played defense. And he intercepted a pass in the end zone on a broken play where the Cincinnati guy either broke off his route or there was miscommunication. There was no Cincinnati guy in the area. Chris Gamble is standing there by himself. And the announcer was like, it's a pick for Ohio state. And it's Chris Gamble because it's their receiver. It's making the pick. And Ohio State, after the game, they reveal that this was their plan, that they had been running some stuff in practice, and they were realizing that if they got into situations where they needed man coverage, Chris Gamble was as good as anybody on the roster at that. So he has the pick, and then late in the game, Cincinnati, on their last drive, 
they get to like the 15 yard line. They just start throwing lobs into the end zone, which we can get to later. But the first one, somebody else is in coverage and it should have been caught and it wasn't. And then they throw the exact same play and Ohio state has gamble out there instead and single coverage on that guy that literally Steven, I mean, in the moment, the idea of it's a pick by Ohio state by one of their receivers playing defense, this becomes a defining characteristic of Ohio state's 2002 national championship season is Chris Gamble playing both ways. And they unveiled it here in week four. Yeah. I thought about putting them here, but I, I forget what the rules are here and how many places you can put one guy for a category. Um, so that's why I put them at who owned the game. But, and, and the other reason was, cause I was reading back on some of that stuff and it's like, when you're reading about, when you're thinking about it, you're going, why did you choose the Cincinnati game to break this out? And you go, oh, yeah, they probably would have pulled this out against Washington State, except they beat them 25 to 7. So it wasn't necessarily a thing they had to do the week before. But when you're in a tight game and you absolutely need to win, this is when you would throw something out. So I would assume that they had Chris Gamble. This wasn't something they started practicing on like Monday of that week, that this is something that had followed them from fall camp with the idea of the Washington State game being the competitive game where they threw that out there, which would have made it even bigger deal, because I'm pretty sure that was a top 10 opponent at that point. But because it didn't work out that way, now you got to save it for a week. But, yeah, he finished second for me because of those exact reasons of. Ohio State came into the season with a plan of they have a receiver they can throw out there as a DB and they play a good team good enough that it's like a three point game in the fourth quarter. It also is it's very matchup dependent, as I said, it like it had to be the, the using them in the right kind of coverages and stuff, uh, because it, even in 2002, like we now let's look at 2002 as like, man, that was just that was 20 years ago. It was so long in the past. That's like old school football, right? Like, no, like even by 2002, you didn't have Iron Man players. You didn't have guys playing both ways. It was a very platoon heavy sport the way it is now. You're, this isn't like the 60s or the 50s or whatever, where you had guys who you had 11 guys who played both ways or whatever. So you know, even then, you know, at the time where you've got, you know, Charles Woodson, um, playing but those things like really stood out when a guy would actually have an impact on both sides of the ball and uh it's it's funny that this is kind of the the start of it and that that became like such a storyline for a team uh that achieved as much as this one did you think it would be the storyline for a team that like had to use him as like a desperation thing because they have they don't have a good enough defense so they have to pull somebody over to have any chance of even competing. And that's not a team that's going on and winning a national championship. Right. No, that, that there was, there was so much wrong with this, <laughs> wrong with this team, honestly, and that they still did it. You could see EJ Underwood as a true freshman is the guy in coverage on the first lob to the end zone where late in the game, the Cincinnati guy probably should have caught it. And then they're just like, Oh good. We got to, we got to flip that because I think they had some injuries at cornerback, but just imagine Again, we're reliving something from 20 years ago. And there's a lot of people listening to this who lived it in the moment. Not everybody listening to this lived it in the moment because, you know, maybe you were young. But, Stephen, can you imagine? Because, again, guess what? In 2021, Ohio State had some issues at corner. They weren't exactly sure what they were doing there. And there were times early in the year, it's like, well, they were putting Ryan Watts out there. They were putting Legend Cavazos out there. And what was going on with Seven Banks? Can you imagine? The Mecca Buko over there. (laughs) But not put Garrett Wilson. I mean, Chris Gamble's yeah. their second best receiver. He's starting at receiver. 
He's their second best receiver behind Michael Jenkins. If we just late in a game, it's like, and there's a pick by the Ohio State defense. And it's Garrett Wilson. We would have been throwing each other out of the press box. That's what this was. The I idea that, that day. I mean, it, right. I mean, this is, this is where now it's just part of Ohio State lore. But in the moment, it's like, oh, <laughs> that's Chris Gamble. So, man. The other side not- of that, co- the other side of that coin is, man. Ohio State's cornerback recruiting was just not getting it done. You but you need to go to Florida. Go to Florida and find you some cornerbacks. Because it's as yeah. impressive as it is that Gamble could do this, it's like <laughs> you shouldn't be in a position where you have to do this. So so I do want to and, and I'll get we'll get your answers on uh on your answer for if you guys had something different for the Malik Hook Award, but I do just want to jump to We'll move up to Ted Ginn Jr. Speed Award because I keep want to talk. I want to keep talking about Gamble. Gamble had a 96-yard kickoff return that got called back here. And again, watching this game, knowing Colorette is out, watching Chris Gamble return that kick, it was like they took somebody from Ohio State's 2021 team and sent him back in time and had him play in this game. He looked like he was playing a different sport. And and to it's one of these things. It's like. How many guys who played in this game for Ohio State in 2002 could you drop on the Ohio State roster in 2021 and have them seamlessly work in? I think it might be one. <laughs> and it's Chris Gamble. Nathan, it is just, he's so smooth. He's, he cuts on a dime. He has acceleration. It's like, no wonder they don't want to take this guy off the field. It, he on a, on a team that should have great talent everywhere. My God, Chris Gamble stood out. Yeah, that was definitely a thing that I put down for the Ted Ginn speed moment. And uh, yeah, I, I think I agree with you. Uh, there might be a couple guys on defense, especially because of some of the deficiencies Ohio State had on defense. You could probably take one of these linebackers and help Ohio State on defense in 2021. Maybe one of these guys up front could have been in a defensive end or a defensive tackle rotation in 2021. But Gamble's the one that, I mean, just if, if you can play on both sides of the ball in a meaningful way for a national champion, almost at any time since, again, what I was talking about before, like the 50s or whatever, that probably means you could play for a, a modern team. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I just – and I know, Stephen, you, you said Gamble was the guy who won this game. I just want to make sure we give, we give enough credit to this. This guy, this was a snapshot. And the entire season then would play out this way. Nobody listening to this podcast doesn't realize how talented and extraordinary Chris Gamble was. But, uh, I mean, just he's a lightning bolt, man. He's a lightning bolt in every way. And yeah, like I said, he made plays in all three facets and like important plays. That interception was an important play. There's a play he makes later that I'm going to say for a category, so I won't ruin it. But it's it would have been an important play had it not been wiped off the board because, you know, penalties, you know, those types of things. He's making important catches on the offensive end. So it's like it's not the fact that he's doing it, but it's the fact that he's like excelling at a high level at each part of this game. Yeah. What an what an extraordinary, extraordinary guy. Uh, and again, it's just they don't they don't do what they do in 2002 without him, you know, which is obviously. But but you run through that would be an interesting thing to do. Maybe eh, make a note you to look at Ohio State's national championship seasons and try to find within there the like the 10 most important Buckeyes who contributed to a title. You know what I mean? That like. 
it, it feels like to me, if you, if you take Claret or you take Gamble off of 2002, I, I think they don't win it. Right. I'm, I'm trying to think of when you think of 2014, it's like, if you take Zeke off 2014, it's like that, they don't win it. If you take, or if you take, Joey Bosa, you know, I think there's, there's some of these, like, who are the guys, the irreplaceable guys that it's like, Hey, if you missed on that recruit or whatever, they just wouldn't have gotten over the top. Um, Gamble certainly I think would be high on that kind of list. All right, let's go to the Jim Trestle punt or not to punt moment. Nathan, was there something that, that popped here for you? This is, uh, you know, mostly about, are you going forward on fourth down and that kind of stuff? There were a couple of plays um, kicking the PAT when you're up 13 to 12. I think in the modern game, the analytics uh, chart would have told you, you got to go for two there. You know, Cincinnati by missing that PAT early had given them a chance to separate there if, if they had gone for it, uh, but they didn't, they kicked the extra point. It ended up not being, it ended up being academic, I suppose. But, um, and then going forward on fourth and one in the third quarter, and then not getting it. I, I guess I don't have a problem with the decision. I think, as I said before, coaches punt way, way, way too often. You're at midfield. It's early enough in the game. It shouldn't devastate you. Um, but this offense was just so predictable. And then compromised on the end, compromised in the way that they're predictable. You know, you don't have your your stud running back you think can go get you a yard against anybody. So I don't know if I would have just run it there. There were a couple other like short yardage plays that I thought really blew up in their face and that maybe if they'd been a little bit more creative, they might've played in their favor. It was really weird. They went for it on that fourth and one and the announcer was like, hand off the light on Ross and he gets it. He gets it. And then yeah. they were like, they came back and they measured and they were like, Oh no, he didn't get it. But it was, I think at the 33, it's kind of right in that in-between zone of like, well, you're going to punt from the 33, you're going to try a 50-yard field goal. But at that point, Ohio State's ahead. They get stopped on fourth and one. Cincinnati takes over and marches for the go-ahead score. Yeah. So, Stephen, like, I don't know that it was the wrong decision, but like, it sure as heck didn't work. Um, That is, at that juncture, at that spot of the field, that's a, either you end up looking like a genius or you're looking like an idiot. There's no, like, gray area depending on whether you get it or not. So I get, I mean, I'm fine with it. It's just, you know, Lido Ross isn't Maurice Croyette. That's all that told me in that situation. Yeah. Mine was, um, I thought it's fourth and goal and they're clearly about to go for it. And then, you know, penalty. So you take it off the board, but I thought that was a perfect place. You're on the one yard line. You're um, down 19 to 14 at that point. It's 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. There's plenty of time. If you don't get it for your D if Cincinnati's not playing well enough offensively, at least from a scoring standpoint, that your defense can't get a stop. I thought that would have been a perfect opportunity to go for it. And then, you know, yellow things start getting thrown on the ground. So, so I'll, jump off that because I had that for my Bill Davis, Tim Beck, questionable coaching moment. How do you let that happen, mm -hmm. Stephen? How do you, yeah. that you, you are in this point, they have this 29 yard um, Craig Krenzel run that gets them down to the six first and goal from the six incomplete second and goal from the six. Um, there's a penalty. It's offsides. So now second and goal from the three, they hand it off to the fullback. He gets a yard third and goal. Krenzel ends up trying to run, get nothing. They call a timeout. It's fourth and goal from the two, Stephen. And they get like an illegal substitution, 12 men on the yeah. field penalty after a timeout. This, like a, like a disciplined Jim Trestle team, it blew my mind. 
I had actually on that series, my, my Bill Davis, Tim Beck questionable coaching moment. And I'm reading quote from my notes, weird ass third and goal play early fourth <laughs> quarter, because that they, they lined up. It was like a, like a wishbone kind of looking formation. Yeah. yeah. But then Krenzel just ends up keeping it. And then he gets the outside and mm-hmm. just gets like flipped, like ankles over yeah. ass or elbows or whatever you want to say it and smashed into the ground. And I'm like, what was that? Again, I thought that again, you are you are so predictable, and also you're, you're such a run first team, and then now your run game is compromised. I think you then you you have to like play away from where you're compromised. I think you have to find you have to catch the other team off guard or something, and 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 that that sets the stage for then that 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 ended up being a failure, and so it ends up being 1917 after. At least they get a field goal out of it, but it could have been where they really took control of the game. I'm glad we're talking about these succession because that third and goal play was actually my questionable coaching moment. It okay. also goes back to the Maurice Carrette thing of like the, the answer is not on the field in that situation. So they had to get unnecessarily creative because they had tried light over also didn't work. They had tried throwing it. It didn't work. So it's like, all right, well, let's just run it with Craig Krenzel. He just got us 29 yards. Let's see if we can do it again. And it doesn't work out in that situation. And so I don't know if I'm not going to necessarily fault Ohio state for not having its best player because he just had surgery a couple of days before, but it it points out an obvious flaw in the team of you don't have the answer to that question. Now you're just trying things and hoping something sticks. I thought Cincinnati really effectively used play action in this game. And I don't remember a lot of instances of Ohio state using the play action. That would have been a really interesting. They had the play act. They got the the first, the first touchdown pass on third and two, as I mentioned before, was off play action, but it certainly wasn't consistent. And you're right. Cincinnati worked it more consistently. Cincinnati threw it a ton more Cincinnati. uh, Geo Galuti, who, by the way, is now Cincinnati's offensive coordinator. He was their quarterbacks coach last year. And their the offensive coordinator left to go follow Brian Kelly to LSU. So he's now the offensive coordinator. He was the Ohio state quarterback in this game 20 years ago. He was, Cincinnati quarterback, 26 of 52 for 324, two interceptions, one touchdown. Ohio State, 14 of 29 for Krenzel. So Cincinnati was chucking it all over the place. They also ran more plays. Um, but, yeah, just a lot of that, like the uh, the weird play call followed, followed by the, like, I mean, like a legal sub, you can't get the – it was before the snap. It was like I think they had 12 men in the huddle or something. Like it was like they can't – they couldn't get the right guys on the field for a, a key fourth down snap was really bad. Like a, like a really bad minute of coaching there for Ohio state. And again, they somehow survived it. The Kenny Guyton next man up award. This is where I did have Lydell Ross. It's just a weird thing. Again, it's like they really miss Claret. He ran for 130 yards, 23 for 130. But I did feel like he got some yards sort of like in a late half, almost like prevent defense where they were willing to give up the run. It just felt like they were never scared of the run and that they might've defended Ohio state differently if Claret was in the game. And Steven, like, yes, Lydell Ross ran for 130 yards and that's not nothing. Um, 5.7 yards per carry, but it was never particularly dangerous. It felt like. It was, I mean, they're going to run the ball. Somebody has got to get these yards. I don't remember any of those plays being like a, like when you start listing off the plays that won Ohio State the game, I'm not sure Lido Ross has one on that list. You go with like the top ten plays or something like that, and that's the and that's why 
yes, 130 yards, that's a good day, but it's not like you didn't impact. How much of an impact does your 130 have on the actual game? Yeah. And who actually, who in deciding the winner? 18 yards was his long because their long carry of the game was a 29 yard one by Krentel. Did you guys have anything different for the Kenny Guyton next man up award? No, I mean, it, and it's important to point out that the, the Kenny Guyton next man up award is just based on did a guy get hurt and need replaced? Is there a guy filling in for him? Not did that guy actually <laughs> do anything great? Yeah. No, he was there. Yeah. And again, I mean, it's, it's yeah. not Lydell Ross's fault, just like it's not Master Teague's fault. It's just that you need somebody with a higher skill level if you're trying to win a national championship. And thankfully for Ohio State, Maurice Claret was that guy. John Cooper, if a bite, will bite as a pup. I didn't have anything great for this. Did you guys have anything? This was sort of hard. Again, it's quick cut-ups. Yeah, it, without the the commentary, it's and and with not having the perspective of knowing that this game going in, it's it's a tough category. Yeah, I mean, I'll throw Maurice Hall out there just because he got some touches, but he didn't necessarily do anything that would you know fall in this category. And then some other freshmen who were on the team at this point: AJ Hawk, um, Dustin Fox, uh, Mike Nugent's a sophomore in this game. So like, there's people, but it's just it's kind of hard to really point them out and focus on them when it's a 36 minute cut up. Yeah. Um, I did think, do we know who these announcers were talking about that we didn't? I thought the guy was pretty cheesy. He was a lot like this. Welcome to the Cincinnati. I just, I didn't love the thing. I thought it was a little. You're probably not sending the A game to Ohio State against Cincinnati. Because you're thinking it might turn out to be 42 nothing like it was a couple years ago. Yeah, that's true. A little bit of a cheesy. I didn't miss the fact that the cut up, cut out a lot of the announcing. It's like, that's okay. We're not missing. It's not Keith Jackson. All right, we'll take a break, come back with uh, final categories and really get down to like, did this, was it a fun game to watch and did this look like a national championship team? Next on Buckeye Retalkables. Doug Nathan, Steven, we'd like to do this. This is, I got a, I think this is like maybe the 11th or 12th Buckeye Retalkables that we've done. Again, this is a little bit of a weird one. The last one we did was the Ohio State spring game from 2018 with Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow and Tate Martell. We still have some really big games out there. There's some uh, older games that I think are, have become available that will work in at some point. We just like to drop them in every now and then. If we can have a little hook to it, we like to do that. And that's why we're doing this 2002 Ohio state Cincinnati game because Cincinnati football is kind of on the mind of everybody. Again, it's a cut up on YouTube. You guys can go find it. Style check and meme it. It just, when it's not the full game, it makes it a little harder here. So I didn't have anything. Did you guys find anything for this? I had a couple of things for, for style check. I put uh, all of the Ohio's in the Ohio state starting lineup. I think Cincinnati, I think Ohio state might've started more Ohio guys than Cincinnati did, yes. which is yeah. not what they you would have expected. I forgot to count up the Cincinnati guys, but I think Ohio state had six on offense, eight of Ohio state starters on defense were Ohio guys. And uh, you look at Cincinnati's and it was a bunch of guys from like Alabama, Florida, Louisiana. So just interesting how that has definitely changed. I don't think you'll ever see an Ohio state national championship that starts championship team that starts eight guys from Ohio on defense, maybe not eight on the whole team. No, I noticed that too. Yeah. No, yeah. I'll say it's never going to start that many Ohio guys ever again, either. That's what I mean. (laughs) You'll never see an Ohio state team that does that. (laughs) Did you have a style thing? Steve, yeah, yeah I have one. Uh, I do. Um, I mean, you always got to point out the sweater vest. It's always you got you even if you got a short, a short look at it at the end of the game, you got to point it out and you got to point it out because it's gray. It's typically the scarlet sweater vest on game day, but he went with the gray one. Well, and I didn't know if it was like a troll job, but Rick Minter, the Cincinnati head coach, 
he wore a red sweater vest. So it was like a sweater vest showdown. So I don't know. Yeah. What that deal was. I would say, remember how like the thing where Perry Eliano, the new Ohio state safeties coach who was just hired from Cincinnati told the story about like, sometimes he'd be, what was he? He was out recruiting nationally for Cincinnati and somebody thought his shirt was a Chick-fil-A shirt. It wasn't him, but it was another coach on the staff, but I think he was, yes, that was the story that was being told while he was there. So all I could think about watching the Cincinnati logo in the middle of the field during the game is the Chick-fil-A logo. (laughs) I was just like, by the end, I was like, I need some nugs, man, because now that I have that in my head, I can't unsee it. All I think of is, oh, Chick-fil-A is sponsoring this game. And it's like, no, it's Cincinnati's logo. For my meme it, there was a point, I don't know if you guys caught this, early in the game, maybe late first quarter, they threw a graphic up. And again, this is moving quick. They weren't, we weren't getting all the graphics. They threw a graphic up with Krenzel's stats and it says Scott Krenzel. And I thought that the meme, it didn't say Craig Krenzel, it said Scott Krenzel. I think the meme would be like you would do a screenshot of that. And it says when you're playing so bad that you find the TV truck while your defense is out there and change your name in the <laughs> graphics card. So you don't get blamed. It's like, that right. wasn't me. It was my that was, evil that was, twin, Scott. That was Scott Krenzel. I don't know who that jerk is. So they didn't even know. They didn't even know who the Ohio State quarterback was at this point. Um, I, I do appreciate it, man. I do appreciate it. Yeah, for real. I, I will <laughs> say it's one of these things where it's, so this game, and I don't know, you know, it's one of those things that we, we don't do a ton of historical stuff. It's like people like the now more than the past, but we are coming up on the 20-year anniversary of the 2002 National Championship team for Ohio State. So maybe we'll do something during this 2022 Ohio State football season. This looks to be closer to 1962 football, like 40 years ago, than it does 2022 football, right? That if you, like, it's just, it feels, it looks like they're throwing a medicine ball, the formations, there's just eight guys in the box all the time. Like it is just, it is rudimentary in a lot of ways compared to the sling it all over the place style of football. And listen, they were talking about stuff. They, they made some reference to a game. I think Texas tech must've been playing NC state or something. Cause they were talking about like Cliff Kingsbury versus Phillip rivers or whatever. There were schools that were throwing the ball back then. It's just Ohio state wasn't really doing it and comparing just the whole ethos, the whole vibe of Ohio State, especially offensive football now, Stephen, compared to that what to, to 2002, it feels much older to me than 20 years. I don't – maybe this is hyperbolic. Maybe this is just a weird thing to say. I am wondering if like 30 years from now when somebody's doing Buck, Buckeye retalkables, I don't think you two will be doing it. I'll be doing it with some people maybe. Um, but I don't – Maybe you guys are retired. You guys are old. All right. Um, I'll be dead. I'm dead. I'll be dead for sure. I'll be dead. I'm dead. Yeah. I wasn't saying that like you guys are going to lose your job. I'm saying you're not going to want to work anymore. I don't No, No, no. (laughs) I'll have dropped Um, dead sweeping up Disney garbage by that point. I mean, if you want to put that out there in the universe, I'm going to let you do that. Um, But I am wondering if football is going to look that much different than what it currently is at that time, because this is so night and day. And now football is, I think, at a point where it is more, it's, they're throwing the ball around. It's kind of balanced. It's a lot. It's great passing offenses. It's great running offenses. And if you want to win a championship, no matter what level you're talking about, you got to be able to do a little bit of both. Football, was, it, it just looks so archaic for it to be 20 years ago. And I feel like we say this a lot, but it's like, I don't think we're going to be talking like this when we're doing the, 
Ohio State Wisconsin game where Chase Young had four sacks in 20 years, thinking, man, this just looks like an archaic game of football. I don't even know what I'm watching. And that's what makes it so weird. It's just they're not even the same sport. Yeah, the evolution, evolution of the passing game. Yeah. yeah. It's an evolution, but I think you make a good point. I am curious, like what what is the next evolution for football? Because a lot of these things happen because the game becomes more sophisticated. People find inefficiencies in the conventional way of doing something, and then they exploit that inefficiency by building their program in a different way. And a lot of times it doesn't happen from the top down. If you're Ohio State and Alabama and those sorts of teams, you get to play in more conventional way because you're going to have the best players. It's somebody else that has to come in and like revolutionize things a little bit. You know, the, the, the passing game within the Big Ten wasn't popularized by Ohio State you had to have someone like Joe Tiller come in, kind of turn things on its ear a little bit, have a little bit of success or, well, pretty decent success for a couple of years with a lower level program. And then everybody has to react to that. So I'm, yeah, I'm curious, like, but does it, does that mean we're going to swing back in a, like there, somebody's going to, you know what I mean? Like Rutgers is going to have like this amazing um, option offense. That's going to turn the big 10 on its ear in 15 years. I, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see what that next evolution is. And the rule changes to make it less physical, less violent, allow yeah. the passing game to flourish as certain. It's like, how much further can they pull back on that? I still keep thinking that the last evolution to me is, is uh, two quarterbacks on the field at the same time. That, mm. that the idea, remember when everybody used to play one quarterback at a time? And it's like, why, why did you just have one guy who was the designated thrower? That was insane and archaic. What a, why would you limit your offense that way? Why wouldn't you have two or three guys who all who can run, who can throw, who can catch? Like, what are we doing? Like that, I, I and there's there is an offensive version of that that's been out there. I can't remember what they call it, but like somebody has tried that. But I wonder if we get to that point, and then it feels like this is the then it feels like 2021 is the Stone Age. It's like, yes, yeah, C.J. Stroud was really good, but it was just C.J. Stroud. Why didn't you have C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord out there together, Ryan Day, you numbskull? What if Day already knows that? And that's why he takes the approach if I want a quarterback in every cycle, because he knows in 10 years he's going to need to put Arch Manning and whoever else on the field together so they can just throw it back and forth to each other. Ryan, Ryan, just to double check for 2023, you're planning to play Kyle McCord and Devin Brown together most of the time, right? Is that what the plan is? That, like, again, one of these days, just like they just sprung Chris Gamble defensive wizard yeah. on everybody in this game. It'll just be like Kyle McCord and Devin Brown will just be out there together. And we'll be like, what? And football will never be the same. All right. The Maurice Collette game saving moment. I guess I just, I want to make sure we talk about sort of Cincinnati's last few plays here that they get down to. So first of all, they, they, they end up throwing this pick earlier in the fourth quarter from the 18. They're in, they're right. They're not, they're within field goal range. And they just have this ridiculous. I don't even know what happened, Nathan, or what was supposed to happen, but it's a pick that Chris Gamble catches alone in the end zone. And if, if, if they didn't do that, that's at least three, but they were moving the ball at that point. So that mistake by Cincinnati was huge. It's, it's sort of the essential nature of games like this a little bit. Why it, why an upset happens or why it doesn't because there's just one miscommunication at a crucial time in the game and Ohio state could kind of afford some mistakes probably because it does still have a talent edge. But for Cincinnati, 
every mistake is magnified and you just, you could not take those points off the field, off the board. Yeah. So that's from the 18 yard line on first and 15 with about 11 minutes left in the game. Cincinnati is up 1917. They've moved the ball. They had a 35 yard completion. They had 11 yard completion. They had a 27 yard completion. They are moving the ball at will. And then they just have this, I, I, I don't know what happened. Like it's a, it's a huge play in the game. Let's go ahead, Steven. I want to, before we get to the pick, it's the drop with 32 seconds left in the end zone. That should yeah. be game. That, yes. That's game right so, there. It's, it, it's, especially since the play before that, the ball he threw was God awful. It was nowhere near a receiver. It was basically like he just threw the ball away. It's a perfect go ball perfect place where only the receiver can get it. And it's literally dropped into his hands and he just doesn't secure the ball. So, so they have this Chris Gamble pick in the end zone with about 11 minutes left. Ohio state gets the ball Mm -hmm. back and does nothing and has to punt it back. Now Cincinnati gets the ball back. um, And Gino, how do you say it again? Gadouli gets sacked and he fumbles. Uh, It's one of those, uh, uh, as somebody pointed out, it's it's one of the it's the Ohio State defensive end. It's Darian Scott. Darian just, Scott, yeah. The right tackle just blocks down. They just leave the right. They just leave an Ohio State defensive end unblocked. I don't have. I have no idea what happened. He destroys um, Gino Gaduli. Fumble. Ohio State gets it back, and now this is where Ohio State marches and scores the go-ahead touchdown to go up twenty-three nineteen with like three and a half minutes left. So now Cincinnati gets it back and they start marching. They have a 10 yard play. They have a nine yard play. They have a 12 yard play. They have a nine yard play six. They're moving the ball 19 yards. They're moving the ball. They get to the 15 yard line with 48 seconds left and they just stop running offense. They just stop running offense. They just start throwing lobs to the end zone. And I did find a story that Rick Minter this is from uh, one of the TV stations, Channel 9 in Cincinnati. They did a story about it uh, in 2017. And Rick Minter, that's his big re- regret from the game. That, like, they knew they had Ohio State. They had this they had this win right there in their hands. And he realizes, like, I don't know why. My o- This is a quote. My only regret is the play calling with the fact that we got down to the 15-yard line and threw the ball four straight times to try to win the game rather than a mix of rather than mix in a run at that point and try to pop one or catch them off guard that type of thing. So Nathan, I did think and we'll get to I mean what Steven pointed out, that is the game-changing moment. The guy had the touchdown pass in his hands, but I just think they lost their mind a little bit Nathan and what Cincinnati was trying to do from the 15-yard line when they'd been running effective offense for basically the whole game. And were they, they were they out of timeouts at that stage? I had forgot to mark that down. Like where they oh, that's were a good question. I don't know. at that point. But I also I don't think they, so. But they also didn't use the middle of the field. Like you, you don't have to take shots in the end zone there. Like you can still, even if you're throwing the ball, you could have given yourself um, like a wider. It seemed like the first option each time was throwing these sort of like fades into the end zone, and just lobbing it up. And I think they could have just they had more in their arsenal that they could have used, even if they were even if they're putting the ball in the air. So the story of this game, when people talk about it, is two drops in the end zone is how it's described in history. The first one is the first lob on first down against DJ Underwood. It's kind of there, Stephen. It's it's there. It's not 
like an indefensible drop, Mm -hmm. but it is one-on-one coverage and the Cincinnati receiver is bigger. So, I mean, like that, that first down play, the guy, the guy could have caught it. Right. Mm -hmm. So then they run the exact same play on second down and it's a much worse throw and it's gamble and coverage. It doesn't come close to being completed, but then they get the third down from the 15 yard line. And again, Steven, that's the play where it felt like Cincinnati should have won the game. It's a, I put that emphasis over the pick because, I mean, the pick's just like somebody tipped it up and you know, things happen. But it's also fourth and ten, and you have no choice but to do that at that point. None of that matters if the wide receiver just holds on to the ball. And now Ohio State, who doesn't have the most explosive offense, who doesn't have its best offensive weapon that day, basically has 20 seconds to go the full length of the field to go try to get a field goal. And that's a lot to ask. So – John Olinger was a guy who they threw it to on the first two plays. And it's freshman George Murray um, at the end who has the ball in his hands. Again, the quote from Minter from 2017, those two passes were right on the money. Gadouli put them right where they belonged, and we had an opportunity. That's all we can ask for. Uh, Murray, after the game, I guess a true freshman, Murray after the game said, I knew it was coming my way, and I had it the whole way. When I hit the ground, I curled up, and I thought I had it. Then I patted my chest, and I didn't feel it. That's when my world came tumbling down. He did dive, Nathan. He's in the air diving for the ball, but it's in his hands. And he hits the ground and it comes out. And if he catches it, we're talking, I mean, Ohio State doesn't win the national championship. It's not an easy catch, but it's the kind of play you have to make to beat Ohio State. Like, that's just, it's not easy to beat Ohio State. You have to make tough plays to beat Ohio State wherever you're playing them. So, yeah, I, I, I you know, guy shouldn't, I guess, beat himself up for a lifetime about it, but um, that's, they win the game if they make that catch. And then again, just in a world where only two teams make the playoff, I mean, you know, you two, it's the BCS, two teams make the national title game, and it was undefeated Miami and undefeated Ohio State. Like, they don't make it. They don't have the chance, Stephen, to upset Miami if freshman George Murray holds on to this diving catch in week four in Paul Brown Stadium. Bingo. And that's what makes it the biggest play. You don't drop the ball. Uh, Jim Trestle probably – no, Jim Trestle never wins a national championship. He gets there twice, and he gets blown out by an SEC team both times. And who knows even how the rest of that season goes because there's a magical quality to this 2002 season – I think when you read the quotes and stuff, they learned a lot from this game. Like they had to, they Ohio state should have lost this game and they survived. And then they found Holy Buckeye, other games, they found ways to survive the whole, this game. I don't know. Krenzel learned from it. They realized they missed Claret. I think they figured out how to use guys a little bit better. They leaned into the gamble plan both ways thing. This was Nathan, a, a, a win that they learned from, but if they lose, then maybe this is just like, it's not even that it's a one lost season. It might just be like, oh, that was a pretty good year. They were nine and three. Yeah. I, it's why I actually had, as, as important as those plays were, I wanted to make sure that we gave some more credit to the plays that won the game for Ohio State. You already mentioned the, the Darian Scott strip sack, which I, I want to have a discussion. Is it called a strip sack still when you hit a guy so hard that he just like disintegrates into his shoes, like after the Thanos snap in Avengers and the ball just sort of like falls to the ground and somebody picks it up. I don't, it's not a strip. It's like a, it's something else. It's an obliteration sack. Um, And then I, yeah. And well, and then (laughs) speaking of the hit stick, 
uh, different kind of video game move. Like I get here and I'm, I hear all these years, all this talk about the, the Braxton Miller spin move. I, wasn't it actually the Craig Krenzel spin move that where he scores no, the go no, ahead touchdown? No, isn't no, that the, no, no, isn't that no, the spin I'm not, move I'm, for... I'm not allowing that to live. Nope. No, we're not. No, I'm not, I'm not even going to allow that to live. You're right, but we're not allowing that to live. Not on this podcast and not on this day. No, no. That was the most unathletic spin move I've ever seen in my life. No. It was like in slow motion. <laughs> it was awful. It's not a spin. I knew somebody was going to bring it up. Yeah. It worked. It's it a, worked. Yeah. He turned. He turned around and then he turned around one more time and nobody could tackle him. No. It was a spin And I knew move. somebody was going to bring that up. It was a spin move in the same way that the earth spins around the sun. Yes. There was a rotation. Yes. But it wasn't. It just took a, it just took a slow, year. It's, to get there. It, it's slow enough that you don't even realize it's happening. So Ohio State survives this week for a game. The Buckeyes win 23-19. Will Allen, the final pick. And it's funny, as you said, Nathan, like, why didn't they throw in the middle of the field? They threw three kind of lobs to the corner on first, second, and third down on fourth down. They do throw it in the middle of the yep. field and Matt Wilhelm, the linebacker tips it and Will Allen intercepts it. And that's game. Ohio state kneels the final 30 seconds out. Ohio state outgained in this game, 415 yards to 292 Cincinnati ran 75 plays. Ohio state ran 67. So 5.5 yards per play for Cincinnati, 4.4 yards per play for Ohio state. Um, did they just promote to the game missing Claret did not look like the better team. Does this look like a championship, a national championship, Ohio state team, Steven? No, it looks like they have a national championship caliber running back and Chris Campbell. I mean, it, it is, I, I just, Nathan, I can't, if to tell somebody who didn't know better, watch this game and then predict the final record of this team. Right. I can't that they go on. Oh, what do they do? They beat the U for the national title. They beat Willis McGahee and Sean Taylor for the national title. It's like, what are you talking about? I, I think we would have had a postgame Buckeye talk after this game, much as we did. So after the Oregon game this year, we had the postgame Buckeye talk. So what what what's the over under on losses for this team this year? The rest of the way we had to predict whether we thought Ohio State was going to lose again. I think we would have had a postgame Buckeye talk with that same question. And we probably maybe in in unison would have been picking Ohio State to lose again that season. Just because you think, again, like I said before, this team feels more than a great running back away from being a national championship team. Nine and three, Doug would have been nine and three, Steven and nine and three, Nathan. Yeah, for real. Three, but you would have guessed one. You would have guessed one. Oh, no, no, I would guessed three for sure. now, Now, the one thing that happened is the defense did make plays when they needed to. Right. Darian Scott's a good player. Tim Anderson's a good player. Will Smith is a really good player. They have a good defensive line. C. Grant, good player. Matt Wilhelm, good player. Mike Doss, good player. Right. They got, there are some dudes on this defense. And this defense does carry this team. Again, people know this 23 to 19 in week four as Ohio State's number six. Rest of the way, 45 17 over Indiana. 26, 27, 16 over Northwestern, 50 to seven over San Jose state. Then it's grinded out time the rest of the year, 1914 at Wisconsin, 13 to seven over number 17, Penn state, 34 to three over Minnesota, 10 to six, the Holy Buckeye game at Purdue followed up by a 23, 16 overtime win at Illinois followed up by a 14 to nine win versus Michigan. I mean, this is absolutely grinded out. 
there's six games this team could have lost and they didn't lose any of them. So there's also something here. The Krenzel spin, the Scott sack and fumble when you need it. The Wilhelm tip that leads to the pick on the final play. Gamble playing defense. Lydell Ross not being great, but getting 130 yards. There also is something in here, Nathan, where you do see this is sort of the first unveiling because their first three wins were pretty easy that year. They are number six in the country. And as Steven said, they were coming off a pretty convincing win over number 10 Washington State the week before. But you do sort of see in this game the whatever pixie dust quality of this team like just finds a way, even when it seems inexplicable. What they did against Cincinnati, they're going to do like five more times on the way to winning a national championship, which is basically win a game. It felt like they were going to lose. So <laughs> given that explanation, maybe the answer is yes. This looks like a national championship team. They're just going to win every game by giving you a heart attack. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's kind of the epitome of why you would say no. It's just like this. Yeah. It doesn't look like a team's going to be able to sustain that. Like, I don't know what other women's uh, can we think of other national championship teams that had to do that week in week out and um now it's actually a little bit easier because now you could slip up you could lose one of those games and still make the top four and and have still a shot but back in the day when you when it was just when the when the style points counted even more and you had to really separate to be one of those top two um just to think that they're going to be able to keep it going like that all year if you had told people after I mean, we already said we we thought we would probably have predicted Ohio State to lose again, having just watched these first three games, including this one. If if you then tell people where they're going to have, I'll tell you right now, before you answer, they're going to have five more games that are a within a score in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter or whatever. Like, certainly you're predicting them to have lost at least one of those games, right? Yeah, because you're probably predicting that eventually you're going to go try to flip that switch. and It's not going to come on. Right. Right. 18 or, point or 18 point favorite in this game. Again, Cincinnati, as you said, mm-hmm. Nathan, they're not good. They're, they're a 500 team. This is this is not some great Cincinnati team. That's, I mean, there's no there's no NFL guys on here. There's nobody famous on this Cincinnati team. It's not like they're playing Miami and Ben Roethlisberger. And it's like, oh, it's like this was just like a kind of an average Cincinnati team that looked as good as Ohio State in the fourth week of the year. And you think if you if you're told that that they're going to have to win that many close games, don't you think like, well, at some point that means they're going to have to go out and throw their way to a win at the end of a game. That does not look like what you want this team doing at all. Right. Um, Enjoyment meter. We usually rank this on a scale of one to a thousand, both as a general college football game and then as an Ohio State game. Uh, This was not a tremendously exciting. I mean, like it was close, but uh, it was like a 400 for me, just like watching the game. What'd you guys have? I'm at like 200 because even with the closest and it coming down to the end there, it's like the whole time I'm like, why is this game this close? It shouldn't be this close. Cincinnati should be up like two touchdowns right now. We shouldn't even have this conversation Two, this was not a good football game by either metric. It's not a good football game from Ohio state fans perspective because you almost lost to Cincinnati. It's not a good football game from a, yeah, a national perspective because one, Ohio State's an 18 point favorite. They're a top 10 team. Cincinnati's not good. And yet, this is what we're watching. See, I think there actually is more for the common fan here. You got to remember how much every other mm. team, every other fan in the Big Ten wants to see Ohio State lose to Cincinnati. Right. So, for all those people, 
the fact that Cincinnati is throwing into the end zone with a chance to win in the final seconds is a, a greatly enjoyable moment. You've got Chris Gamble going out there and doing this thing that people don't do, which is play both ways and make plays on both sides. Of all. I, I put like a 648. That's still not like a screaming high score, but I think because it's not a great game, but I think that the, the perspective of the fact that anytime a team like Ohio State is on the ropes against a, you know, think about it. Like when we're, when we're covering a game and like word starts to trickle through the press box that like, I'm trying to think of what an example would be like, oh, Clemson. Uh, yeah, like Clemson yeah. is only up uh, on whoever in the fourth quarter, like Vanderbilt, they're playing some non-conference game or something like that. Like, that's not even a good example. It'd be somebody. Like Georgia Tech. Right? They almost lost to Georgia Tech this year. Right. right. Like, so like, yeah. oh, and it's, it's, they're only up by three and it's late in the fourth quarter. And like, like fans get excited about that sort of thing uh, when they're not, when they don't have an emotional investment in the team that's about to lose. So if you, I, I it's weighed down because you, I guess you do have to include all the Ohio state fans across the country and what this score is, although we have a separate score for that. So maybe even 648 is low. I don't know. I, I think you make a good point that it is. If you flip it on late and like maybe you're watching a different game and they went to this game and it's like, I'm watching Cincinnati take four shots in the end zone in the final minute, trying to beat Ohio state, number six, Ohio state. That, I guess it is exciting. Cause even as I'm watching this game, there's the, the crawls going across the bottom of scores. And I noticed that like, Oh, it's late in the first quarter and Oregon and Portland state are scoreless. Like, oh, what happened to Oregon this day? And then they, they, I think they end up blowing them out. I think it was like twenty-one nothing right. pretty quickly after that. But it's like that; those sort of things cap- captivate a little bit. And now I'm not equating Cincinnati with Portland State, even at that point in their uh, program. But point still stands that like you got to remember, everybody else in the country wants to see Ohio State lose. And it's not even like they hate Ohio State. It's just that like you want to see the upsets. You want to see the the guys up top get toppled once in a while, humbled. Next on Buckeye Retalkables, 2002 Oregon versus Portland State. <laughs> so what did we, we get? When we go to seven podcasts a week, that's yeah. what we start to. <laughs> so what did we put for the Ohio State thing? Because this does fall into the category of what is not an unusual result for Ohio State, a win that fans are not happy with. <laughs> right? That is, that is certainly something that we have all covered at times. Nathan, what did you think of this for, for the enjoyment meter, one to a thousand for Ohio State fans? I put 31. <laughs> I feel like there's there's so much more agony than there is appreciation for a game like this. And like I said, like, yeah, you win the game, but you win the game because not because your guy broke up a pass in the end zone, but because their guy just didn't make the catch. You watched Craig Krenzel um, just uh, lollipop it all over the place at times, not looking like he should be your quarterback, maybe. Um, you, you probably at that point don't know exactly when Maurice Claret is coming back. But as I said, this offense looks more than just a good running back away. Like just all sorts of problems. I, I think like, sub 100. What'd you have, Steven? 23. Oh, that was even how lower many than points th- they scored. Yes. Cause that's how many points they scored. And that's all the enjoyment people got of those 23 points. Everything outside of that was awful. This was, <laughs> I don't know if Ohio State has a, another game that was this as stressful as that season was at times. I don't know if it ever got that stressful where it comes down to a drop football, a drop passes by a true freshman is why you didn't, you almost didn't, why you did, why you beat Cincinnati. So 23. Because it is because, because the pick at the end, right? They do intercept yeah. the ball on fourth down, but it's not as exciting like, holy Buckeye. 
So they do. Thank God. (laughs) Like, you know, the Purdue, when they beat Purdue 10 to six on a thing, they did on Michael Jenkins, fourth down touchdown catch. This is a little more like, yeah, they won because the Cincinnati guy did not make the catch on third down. So there is very, and this is why they will never go. They will never set foot (laughs) in the city of Cincinnati again. And I don't know. Cincinnati has a program. Luke just got an extension. As part of his extension, they are building like a better practice facility, which is what every coach, when they get an extension and agree to stay when they have other offers, that's part of it. I really do wonder if Luke is settling in now for the long haul, that if he's in a power five conference at a place that he likes and they're investing in football, I I don't know what he would leave for other than the Ohio state job at this point, you know, that, that maybe if it doesn't work out for Marcus or maybe if Marcus Freeman is great at Notre Dame and goes to the NFL or something, maybe Luke would go to Notre Dame, but it really feels like Luke just might be a long-term guy there. I think a lot of it fits Luke Fickle's personality And if Luke Fickle establishes a consistent top 25 college football team two hours from Columbus, they are really never going to play again. They are never going to play again because Ohio State's not going to agree to that game because it's too dangerous because they're too good. And the only way you might see it, and maybe we will see it in the expanded 12-team playoff world when we get to that in 2026, it'd be a heck of a heck of a five- 12 matchup or a heck of a, it'll, you know, no, it'll be like at a bowl site. It'll be a, like the Rose bowl. And we're all going to be talking about how, why is it that these two teams who are two hours apart and we have to go all the way to the other side of the country for them to play. Like we would have been doing had, you know, yeah. Aiden Hutchinson not decided that he was the number one pick in the NFL draft. I mean, just like that. I don't know that, uh, Ohio State's the three seed and Cincinnati's the 11 seed and they beat the six and now it's three yep. versus 11 and a quarterfinal Ohio State Cincinnati. That might be what it takes because I don't think we're going to see a repeat of this. All right. That is our Buckeye Retalkables for 2002 Ohio State Cincinnati. It's kind of a weird little thing to do. If you guys have suggestions of games you'd like us to do, it has to be available to watch. So that does limit us. We can't just say any game in the history of Ohio state football, we have to be able to have eyeballs, see it. So um, we'll keep working through this drop Buckeye retalkables in here and there Uh, next week. NFL combine. We'll certainly have some coverage from that uh, both at Cleveland.com slash OSU and here on Buckeye talk, the podcast texter. You can do a 14 day free trial. 614-350-3315 for Nathan Baird and Steven means I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. Talk.